Are you ready to realize the true potential in your life and help others do the same? Get equipped to create a thriving future with the Secrets of Success podcast. Inspire others to live, lead, and work on purpose. And experience the joy of watching satisfaction and productivity come to life. And now, here's your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, we have another doctor on the show today. And she's really going to share with you expertise around staff and teams and how to hire the best person or the right person. She's got a brand new book out there. And so welcome to the show, Dr. Sabrina Starling, Like the Bird. Thank you, Ken. I'm excited to be here. I love whenever I get to talk about hiring and team building. And all the leadership stuff, et cetera, et cetera. And then you have a new podcast that you've just started. So congratulations and welcome to the podcasting world. Thank you. It's so fun to be a part of this world and this community. Uh, it's interesting. There just is a, a, how can I share it, is most authors, most, most experts really are quite giving of their time to be on the show. So thank you for spending your most valuable commodity, your time to be with us today. Absolutely. And your podcast, by the way, is ProfitByDesignPodcast.com. They can learn more about that, and we'll mention it again at the end of the show. So, Sabrina, what we like to do is get to know our guests a little bit. As you, as a business psychologist and working with companies and working in leadership, we're going to kind of go into that space. But who's Sabrina? Where did she come from? Where did you grow up? I grew up right where I right across the street. Can you don't you? Can, I know you can't see Man, me. <laughs> you, you are into change, and where is that? No, I've been all over, but I came back home. So I grew up in Alexandria, Louisiana, and I, you know, I I think I'm probably like the typical high school student. Nothing really caught my fancy until. I discovered psychology. So that was really where I found my passion and I came alive and that was right as I was heading off to college. So I loved it so much. I went on to get a doctorate in psychology. I did leave Alexandria, Louisiana. I ventured to Austin, Texas to attend UT and um, got my doctorate there. And then I was all set to stay in Austin. I mean, who doesn't want to live in Austin? It's a beautiful yeah, place. Yeah. Um, but all of my friends were leaving, and they were going off and you know starting their lives. And um, I just had the itch for a new adventure. And I had read in one of the psychology um, magazines that I had been receiving, I had read about the National Health Service Corps, where psychologists and other mental health professionals and medical professionals were being asked to go serve in underserved areas in exchange for student loan payoff. Well, oh, I had huge I had huge debt. <laughs> and I thought, huh, this could give me a chance to go live in the mountains in the west somewhere. I've always had a fancy to do that. And maybe I could get my student loans paid off in the process. And so that's how I ended up in Riverton, Wyoming, wow. working in a community mental health center. And I was there for about five years, and I loved it. I, I loved the area. I loved the people. Um, I even loved my job, but I also 
really felt the stress and burnout of working in an underserved area. And it was really getting to me when clients would leave my office and I would send them down the hall to schedule their appointment and I would never walk down the hall with them because I knew what was coming. They were about to be told it was going to be three or four weeks before they could get back in to see me. And they, I just felt heartbroken at not there was not enough of me to go around to serve mm. and it was really taking a toll on me and I knew I needed to do something different plus I was working with severely mentally ill individuals and that was also taking a toll on my own mindset and I found myself growing more and more pessimistic and so I started looking around trying to figure out okay I've got all this training in psychology what else can I do with my skills and that's around the time that I discovered life coaching. And mm. I thought, huh, this is interesting. I can use everything that I've been trained in as a psychologist, but now I could study positive psychology. That sounds like a lot more fun. <laughs> and so I, against all advice of everyone, I don't think I had anybody who encouraged me to stop practicing psychology um, in a mental health field and set off to be a life coach and open my own practice. But I did, and I did it in um, Wyoming. And at that time, that was the um, early 2000s. Mm. Coaching was not heard of in that part of the country. <laughs> and um, I, I set off and started a practice, and most of the clients who sought me out were small business owners, and they wanted help with work-life balance. And that's really where things started to turn for me and move me in the direction where I am now, because I recognized pretty quickly that it wasn't that they didn't know how to have work-life balance. It was that they did not have the team members that they needed in their businesses mm -hmm. to grow their businesses. And that's when I became very interested in, if you're a business owner and you have a growing business and you need exceptional employees that you can trust to take responsibility off your shoulders, how do you go about finding those people, especially when you're in a low population area, like a rural area? And that's where my first mm -hmm. book, How to Hire the Best, grew, grew from that experience. Wow. So thank you for that, Sabrina. Now, I want to back up for a second. In high school, you said you discovered psychology. How, how did that happen? Because that probably, that probably wasn't top of mind for most of the career counselors there in, in rural Louisiana. No, no, it wasn't. I think I had read somehow in the library had stumbled across one of Sigmund Freud's books. And I also remember, no, it was, actually that wasn't the first book. It was Sybil, you know, the um, book about multiple personalities. Mm. And I read that book and I was fascinated and I wanted to know more. And I always, I always joke with my current clients and tell them that, you know, people are really complex and puzzling and they puzzled me so much when I was an adolescent that I felt like I needed to get a PhD in psychology. I didn't want to just read a couple of books to try to understand people better. I really felt like I need to get a PhD because this is some com com complex stuff here. Well, not everybody thinks exactly that way, no. doctor, to, no. to say, okay, let's just go from I need to figure out people to I need to go get my doctorate degree. Yeah, not always. 
No, that's that's I, I'm a firm believer in we follow our passions and our talents, and that's my passion. And when I saw a door open, I mm. really pursued it. Mm. Well, I just wanted to clarify that, so thanks, Sabrina, <laughs> for that. So here you are, you're you're transitioning into this life business coaching. Uh, how how did that go, or how how did the beginning of moving into business from quote unquote a practitioner uh, go for you? It was very rocky. I knew nothing about owning my own business. My for I quit my job when my daughter was born, and so I had a brand new baby and a brand new business. I read the E Myth and very quickly realized, boy, I'm in over my head. Uh, this it, this myth book is telling me everything that I'm already doing wrong in my brand new baby business. So I had to learn marketing. I had to figure out how to put systems in place in my business. But mostly I was focused at that time on where do I find clients to keep money coming in the door, essentially. Mm. Um, and so that forced me to put myself out there. I'm an introvert. And um, public speaking, if you had told me 20 years ago that I would be doing workshops and keynotes and having a, I mean, we didn't know what podcasts were back then, but talking on, you know, to, to people through a podcast and, you know, I would have said, you're crazy. I will never do something like that. But I, I, realized that in order to succeed in something that I really felt compelled, that I was mm -hmm. that I really enjoyed doing, and I, I could see that I could serve and really help a lot of people, in order to succeed, I was going to have to get outside my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, that's, I think that's the story of entrepreneurship, is we are constantly stretching outside our comfort zones. Yeah, absolutely. Now, one of the things I just wanted to clarify with you, because we teach purpose too, and there's more and more research. Following your passions doesn't mean that you don't develop skills that wouldn't you wouldn't normally develop. So one of the top habits of high performers is this power of influence. Well, that's what you're doing. You're influencing people in your space that you're passionate about helping them. But you had to learn that skill. So everybody listening doesn't mean you get a free ride. Oh no, there I, I have done so much training over the years. I've had to learn how to market and how to share my message and how to hone and refine my message. But even just a couple of weeks ago I was at speaker training to continue improving my speaking skills. That's that's a lifelong journey. Hmm. It, it is a skill like anything else. It is a craft like anything else, so that we can get better, just like you went to university to really help understand the whole concept of psychology and people and get inside of their heads, sort of speak yeah. uh, with that. So here you are, a business coach, uh, daughter, trying to grow. What sort of happened next? Well, I found some traction. Um, I, I realized that in the small business space, there was a lot of need. And as soon as I wrote my book and did, I wrote that book by interviewing successful business owners who had hired a couple of great team members. And I tried to interview business owners who could tell me a system for attracting great employees. And every person that I interviewed said, I really have no idea how I got these people on my team. It was just kind of luck. And 
I persisted past that and asked them, tell me more about that luck. Tell me the story of how that person came to be a mm. member of your team. And it was through listening to those stories and recognizing the patterns of how these business owners had hired great team members that I was able to put together a system for small business owners to follow to attract great team members to their team because I believe we always need to be recruiting for if we have a growing business we always need to be recruiting mm. and so as soon as my book came out and I started I have a master class and an online workshop that I teach around how to hire the best as soon as that came out it, that is hands down the number one challenge that small business owners face so I started getting emails from people all across the country, you know, with messages like, hey, Sabrina, I, I came across your book on Amazon. I'm not rural. I'm in New Jersey or I I'm in California. There's tons of people around here, but I can't find the people that I need in my business. Mm. Can you help me? And I thought, well, what the heck? I probably can help them. I'll give it a try. And sure enough, what I quickly discovered is that those strategies for attracting great team members that work in rural areas work exponentially better in more populated areas. And so I tell you what, Ken, sometimes when I get a business owner who says to me, I read your book or I did your masterclass in your workshop, and three weeks later, here I've got this great team member, I still get chills and I think, how did they do mm. that? But I know they're following the system that I helped create, but I still can't get over. I created something that didn't exist previously and it works. Well, absolutely. And if we think about sort of this podcast, my belief is goes around the world. So it, it's the same everywhere is how do we find the best people, talented individuals. Just recently, one of a client's, had an individual working with them who really stole from them for over a year before they figured it out. Oh my so, gosh. so these things are happening to individuals out there. So what, what are you teaching to individuals? So I know we have a mixed audience. We have some individuals who are just personal development, professional development. I remember chatting to one of our associates who uses our assessments in relationships. And so they, were, they had somebody who was sort of a distance or remote employee who found a new partner and as a result of that was completely distracted, wasn't doing anything uh, that she was supposed to be doing uh, any further. In other words, she had just sort of fallen off the wagon as a good employee. So yeah. what, what are some of the things that we need to think about? Because you talk about in your bio about, you know, breaking the status quo that, you know, what we traditionally do doesn't work to be able to have good team members both you know, internally or remotely, what is it that you're teaching uh, to the business owners or people out there who work with other individuals so that we can actually optimize and have the best? Yes, and certainly, and I, I want to clarify, these strategies, if you have a team of 20, they work great. If you are making your first hire, they work great. They're also, they work for hiring a babysitter. I've used them for that purpose. <laughs> and they work if you're hiring, you know, your first VA, because I, I used the system when I hired my first VA, who's still with me 13 or 14 years later. Mm -hmm. So it, they, they work. And it, it really... Let me clarify what I mean by the status quo. The traditional strategies don't work. 
first. So what I mean... What, what would the traditional... Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, the traditional practices that we've all been led to believe that we should do is we need we decide we have an open position. We have a need to hire, so we should write a job ad and we should post it out there, um, whether that's in the newspaper or on Craigslist or on Deed, Indeed, ZipRecruiter, any place where you would post a job ad. So you just write it up real quick and you get it out there and you wait for those applications to come in. And then sometimes they come in and that's great. Sometimes you hear crickets, like there's nothing. But if the applications do come in, then you start sorting through those applications and you invite the ones that look the best out of the bunch, you invite them in for an interview. And that could be over mm -hmm. the phone or it could be video conferencing now if you're virtual. Um, and then you, you do an interview, you kind of stumble around with what questions. You probably do an online search to find some good interview questions. I mean, if we're all honest, that's where we start. <laughs> and we take a few of those interview questions and interview these folks. But we don't know. We're kind of throwing a dart. And we're, we also tend to believe that we need to be hiring for a skill set. Um, and we get disappointed in the, the skill sets that people are presenting with. Mm -hmm. Then we might find somebody who's okay. We hire them, bring them on, and then a couple of weeks later, a lot of times we're beating our head against the wall because they are not, they interviewed well, they look good on paper, but they're not who we thought they were going to be. So at, at one point I want to make clear in that whole process, when we are trying to pick the best from the worst, so meaning you interview some folks and you think none of them really impress me, but I have to hire, mm -hmm. I'm going to just pick the best, that's the worst. The, the number one thing to do is slow down the hiring process and not hire because if you make a hiring mistake, even for an entry-level position, that could cost you three to $5,000 just in the first few months of bringing that person on board. Mm -hmm. So it's much better not to hire if you don't feel totally confident. So what works much better in the hiring process is to clarify who you are and what your company culture is. And if you're a small business, your company culture is going to reflect you and your mm -hmm. core values. So identifying what those core values are for yourself and then you want to be sure that you hire people whose core values reflect your own, that there's a good synchronicity there, a good match. And that's where so many of us go wrong is we get these inklings during the interview process. Something about this person rubs me wrong, but I can't mm -hmm. put my finger on it. That is your gut speaking to you, and chances are you're sensing that there is some misalignment with your core mm. values. Now, how do you, you know, we have a values assessment, but how do you do the values alignment? How do you determine that or confirm that? So a values assessment is a great place to go, but if you need to do it on your own, a simple thing to do is to pay attention to two questions. One question is, what's made you most proud recently? What was, and think mm -hmm. through what was going on in that situation where you felt particularly proud. Now, that question is a good question, but the one that inevitably surfaces core values is the, the inverse of that question, and that is, what's ticked you off recently? Mm. Because when we are angry and upset, that is a sign that our core values have been violated. 
So think about where, when have you been really upset and frustrated and what was it about that situation or what somebody did that really upset you? Because that's pointing, when you can turn that, whatever that was, into a positive phrase, it's pointing to a core value. So mm -hmm. an example is I had a client a few years ago who said, you know, I have some great team members, but there's a couple of them. They work really well once they get to work, but they really drive me crazy because they can never get to work on time. And so I dug a little underneath that and I said, tell me what time your day starts. What time are they supposed to be there? And he said, well, we start at 8 o'clock. And I said, what time are they getting there? And he said, 7.55. And I said, wait a minute, I'm confused. They're getting there at 7.55. Your workday starts at 8, but they frustrate you because they're late? I don't understand. And he said, I was raised that being somewhere on time means being there 15 minutes early. They're not ready to start the day when they're rolling in the door at five minutes till the day starts. And I thought, oh, isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. That's a core value. And, and so I helped him articulate that. He communicated it to his team members. Lo and behold, they started showing up 15 minutes before eight every day. It was that simple. Mm -hmm. But it was just a matter of those core values are so much a part of who we are that we don't see them and sometimes it takes someone outside of us who points out you know this is a little bit different um, let's figure out what that core value is that's underneath it it sometimes it takes that to be able to articulate those core values oh absolutely and can't agree more to including that as one of the systems now let's back up a bit Sabrina when we when you were talking about you know we do a job posting yada 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 and so what's my alternative? So I have an opportunity, I have a space open. If I'm not going to do a job posting, and by the way, I think it was the U.S. Department of Labor said that 5% of all positions are filled through a job posting. So 95% are not. Yeah, yeah. Though, Isn't that interesting? People, yeah, though many small businesses, even including ourselves, uh, recently that's one of the things, that's the route that we went. Uh, what What is our alternative? What is it we okay. do differently? Yeah, so I am not saying don't put a job posting together. You absolutely need to write up a job posting, but don't count on it for your hiring. So when you're writing up that job posting, you need to be very descriptive about the culture and the core values in the business and think through the, the role that you're hiring for and if the person in that role can only get one thing done for you in a given day or a given week, what is the most important result you need from that person? So you've got to identify that. And then the next question is, what personality strengths are needed to do or to deliver that result exceptionally well day in and day out? Hmm. What personality strengths are needed to deliver that result exceptionally well day in and day out. That is so critical and this ties right into understanding our strengths and what those really mean for us and what happens to us when we are working from our Achilles heels. So I'll give, I'll give you a real clear example. I had a client a few years ago 
who was having a, he's a very young entrepreneur in college. He'd started a, um, a, 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 a new product and it was a food product and he was getting the word out about it and testing it by having a kiosk at the mall. And he had been doing all the work himself. He had been making the product. He had been at the kiosk staffing it and, you know, inviting people in to come to the kiosk and making sales that way. And he was getting overwhelmed. He couldn't do it all. So he wanted to have a few people that would be in the kiosk and make the sales for him. And he thought, well, mm -hmm. I'll just get some of my college buddies to help me with this. And so, I mean, how hard could it be? And he would get them over there. And, you know, at first they did really well. And he said, you know, I noticed my one friend the first day, she did great. She was, she was, you know, seeing people across the mall and she would say, hey, come on over here. Come give this a try. I think you'll really like it. But he said, but by the end of the day, I noticed her energy like was kind of low and she was on her phone and she was texting. And he said, in the next day, like she wasn't really doing, she was just kind of sitting there. She wasn't inviting people over. And mm -hmm. I said, I wonder, do you think she might be an introvert masquerading as an extrovert? <laughs> And he said, well, I don't know. Tell me what an introvert and an extrovert is. And so I explained. I said, you know, introverts get, we get our energy from downtime and being by ourselves and quiet. That's how we re-energize. Extroverts draw energy from socializing and interacting with people. And so if you have an extrovert in the kiosk, their energy is going to go up throughout the day because they're having a lot of social interaction with all the customers coming through. Whereas an introvert, that person's batteries are getting drained. And he said, you know, I think I've hired an introvert. And he just took that one insight and started his interview process focusing on that one strength needed to do that job exceptionally well. And that one strength was extroversion. Mm -hmm. Well, as you know, we have a personality, <coughs> a personal style indicator and it's so important to match the nature of the person to the nature of the position so they can, we use this word, so they can sustain their engagement. Yes. Otherwise, exactly. their water glass is empty. Yes. So playing to my strengths as much as possible. I couldn't agree more. Hey, well, I guess that's why we have you in the show so that we can confirm each other. Yeah, I know. I, we're right on the same and page. Affirm. Yeah, so, sure. yes. So what I want to say, though, getting back to the job posting is you want to have all of that clearly articulated in your job posting. But we need to do a lot before we get to the point of having a job posting. And if we do some really good networking where we let everybody and anybody that we know know that of the kind of person we're looking to be connected to and would you please make an introduction that is going to start bringing us a steady stream of people who could be good team members for us and so when you're out there doing that type of networking one of the things that you never want to say is you know I'm looking for someone who loves people and they just get so enthusiastic and excited whenever they get the chance to talk to people who do you know who's like that who's looking for work because immediately if you're talking to someone who is an A player their mind is going to go blank they don't know anybody who's looking for work. 
And if they do know somebody who's looking for work, it's their cousin who is out of jail just recently, and they would feel horrible about referring that person to you. Mm. <laughs> so it, this is one of the things that I think is so important to understand is that A players, those highly motivated go-getters, those problem solvers that we want to be hiring for our teams, they are not reading the job ads. They are not out there looking for work. And anybody in their network would not identify them as someone who is looking for work. So instead, we need to use phrases in our networking that really are very descriptive of the type of personality that we're looking for. And then just simply say, would you be willing to make an introduction and then start some conversation and let those folks know about the opportunity to work for you. But it doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to hire them. You're just mm -hmm. starting to open that conversation and get to know them so that when you do have a, a opening, you reach out to them and say, you know, you and I connected a couple of months ago and you shared this or that with me and it really struck, it really stuck with me. And I just got, to, as I was thinking about this open position, I just got to thinking about you and I wonder if you might be interested in it. I think you might be a fit. Would you like to explore this further? So if you have that that drawer full of, of connections that you've already started to make, you send them the job description at that point, and then they submit their resume, and then you start the process from there, which is, that's very different than them stumbling upon your job description online somewhere. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily the headhunter model, but the model of reaching out and inviting somebody to be, to apply to, to be part of your organization. Oddly enough, my niece, just had this happen more from LinkedIn, where a brand new organization through just her knowledge out there reached out to her and said, well, listen, we have this opening. Would you like to apply? She wasn't even looking, not even a bit. So this whole idea of reaching out and building the network, I think that would be foreign to most small businesses. It is. It, it's it's something that we never think about. And so that's why I teach it as a system that it's, it's a team member attraction system. And when we do that kind of networking, you know, I, I get asked a lot, when does a small business need to start thinking about doing this sort of systematic networking? And my rule of thumb around that is whenever you have gotten to the point where you have steady lead generation and you've got that part nailed down, that's where you need to be thinking about who are my next three team members going to be in the next few mm. years and then start the networking around that. And it doesn't mean you're going to hire those folks. And I, from a profit standpoint, would strongly discourage you from hiring them until you know that you can afford to pay them. And so we even, we teach a little system uh, around that. How do you know when you can afford to hire that person. But just starting to get that pipeline in place so that when you go to hire, you're not scrambling to get a job ad out there and just kind of at the mercy of whoever is unemployed at that particular moment mm. finding your well, ad. We've been there, done that at different times as a small business, and we help others to hire the right person the first time too. And yes. We sometimes get caught or we haven't. We get so busy being busy. You know, yeah. welcome. I've met Michael Gerber in person in the 80s or uh, no, 90s pardon me uh, early 90s when he when he was actually here in Vancouver speaking when his book first came out 
So I get that. But what you're saying is, can I be proactive? Now, I want to back up to one thing you said, Sabrina, and that was around, I want to define my culture and put that in the ad or put that in my information. What do you mean by that, define my culture? Well, I really think in a small business, our culture is our values and who we are. And so I think there's a place where we start getting aspirational about our culture <laughs> versus what's the reality of our culture. So if you have team members, I, we give a survey of those team members and ask them, if you were describing this, this business, to your friends at a party, how would you describe the business? Mm. And and we just, we look for what they're saying. And then it, later in the survey, I ask a follow-up question, describe a great place to work. What I'm looking for at that point is, is there alignment between what they are saying to their friends about the culture of this business and how they think about a great place to work? If there's alignment, that's great a lot of times there's not alignment and so we have to start looking at what do your best team members not all team members but your best team members the ones that you would consider to be a players what do they appreciate most about your work environment and working for you those pieces we want to pull out from those surveys and use that to start defining the culture of the business as it really is and mm. then start moving more towards the aspirational, you know, w when they say what a great place to work is and in that disparity between the reality and what we aspire to, we start working on bridging that gap. Mm. Now, this question is coming out of completely out of left field. What if I have multiple owners, family business, you know, husband and wife, or maybe some brothers or sibs, or maybe it's dad and son or daughters or mom and whatever. So it's multiple family members, and they all give mixed messages of the culture. You have chaos. <laughs> that's that's Don't so we? common. That, that is really the big challenge because I forget the percentage, but it is a huge percentage of businesses in the United States that are family-run businesses. And oftentimes you will have conflicting values among those family members. There's never been a discussion about what are our core values in this business? What is our culture going to be? And even worse, you will often have one owner in the business who gets it. They're very progressive. They're constantly seeking out education about how to do things better in the business. And then inevitably, there's one or two or more family members who are more lackadaisical and kind of have the mentality of, you know, everything's fine. We've done it this way for years. We don't need to change. Mm. And so it's a real challenge. And I don't have a simple answer for that. I've coached business owners in that situation. And there's been all kinds of different outcomes, right? from the perspective of a business divorce where siblings go their own way um, or they do come together. Um, sometimes marriage counseling, I, I bring in marriage counselors. Um, it, it really just depends. But it all starts with let's have some conversations. We've got to open up the discussion and, and start trying to at least get on the same page and agreeing that there's some real differences here that need to be worked through. Hmm. Uh, couldn't agree more. So when we think about, we have just a few minutes left, probably eight or so, Sabrina. 
what are some other steps as an owner, an employee even, that I can consider or embrace to take a team or myself to the next level? Well, I tell you what, let's talk about it from being a team member in a small business. Um, I have a program that I teach called Leadership Boot Camp, and I get the privilege of working with my small business owner clients, their best team members. And I've had a lot of conversations with them, and one of the things that really stands out to me is when you're a team member in a small business, Understanding that small businesses are very different than a corporate environment and because just because the business that you're in feels very chaotic, there's not clearly defined systems, things are changing, everything is different from day to day, you think you're doing it one way and then you, you find out, no, you're supposed to do it another way and nobody really told you and nobody really trained you, you've just kind of been thrown into things. That's pretty much par for the course in small business in America. and understanding that if you're working with a business owner who is trying to improve and put systems in place, they really need you to be communicating with them about what your gifts are, what your talents are, and it may be hard for you as the team member to even know that because if you're an A player, you're being tasked with a lot of different things. A lot of different responsibilities are being put on your shoulders. And sometimes it's hard to figure out where do your strengths really lie. So one place to look is what are the things that come easy to you? What are the things that you enjoy doing the most that you would do all day long even if you weren't getting paid? But don't mm. tell the business owner that. Um, that's a sign that's your strength. And so if you can open a conversation with the business owner and say, look, these things come easy to me. I love doing them. I see more ways that I could be taking things off your plate in the business with respect to these particular tasks, but I'm overloaded. I have so much going on over here that are out, it's outside my strengths. If we could kind of figure out who in the business might have strengths where they could take some of this off my plate, I think I could be a lot more effective for you. Mm. Just getting that kind of conversation going with the business owner could be tremendously helpful, and I think it could do a lot to increase your job satisfaction as the team member in that business. Well, it's interesting. Thank you, Serena. Interesting, the word that comes to mind, which is one of my favorite words, is this whole area about being intentional. Intentionally communicating what I'm good at, what I'm not good at. You're in this space a lot. I'm not doing as much consulting in the small business space anymore. What's your experience with people being intentional? Is it mostly just sort of by accident? Or are they even aware of this concept that playing to your strengths is advantageous? I find that, I, I, so first off, I'm very big on being intentional, and we talk about on, on the Profit by Design podcast, that's the theme, is making intentional decisions in our business to create businesses that sustain our lifestyle. I, I very much believe in being intentional, and I find when I'm talking to small businesses, whether it's the owner or the team members, giving them permission to be intentional is all it takes. It, it's kind of like we forget that we can be at choice and we just need someone to remind us, hey, you have a choice here. What You have lots of choices here. What choice would you like to make? That mm. creates a lot of momentum. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just be able to give people permission. Yeah. 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 So what, what would be some final comments 
we've covered a lot of things, Sabrina, is about being, you know, intentional, thinking about our business, defining the culture through our values, being clear about personality and strengths, uh, setting up a system, being there in advance. What else can you share with us as we sort of wrap the show up this time? I want to say to those small business owners who might be listening to this that the concept of having a business that you love working in, that your team loves working in, that's really a great place to work, may feel like it's a stretch from where you are right now. And I want to offer you hope because we see our clients coming in and working with us and their businesses are in chaos. There's cash flow problems, there's a lack of systems. You, you might have one or two good team members, but really you feel like you have a whole bunch of employees that are just warm bodies. To, to just imagine that you can create a highly profitable, great place to work where you are giving back to your team members. They've bought into your vision. You're buying into their personal visions and helping them achieve goals in their life that are important to them. That may feel like it's a huge stretch, but getting back to being intentional, being intentional and getting help learning the skills that you need and the resources to make it happen. It can happen in a fairly short period of time. We see that transformation happening with our clients in one to two years. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things you're suggesting, Sabrina, is that a lot of entrepreneurs are doing it on their own. Yeah. And, and this idea of a coach, an idea of somebody that I can have a conversation with, dialogue with. A lot of times business owners don't have anybody, or if they do, maybe it is their partner, and that partner is even a personal relationship, and we're at at odds. So yes. I, I'm, I'm thinking about a client where we're working with the family who owns the business, and really we're a facilitator of the conversation because it is so divided, I guess is the word. And that's why your services and what you do and helping people through business is important because you're helping people to facilitate that success and have conversations that really would not normally happen without your help. Right. And I want to just take that one step further because I used to do a lot of one-on-one -on -one coaching and I really have backed away from that now because I've found that small group coaching is way more effective because it's not about talking to that coach one-on-one. -on -one. It's more about a facilitated conversation with your peers mm. and learning from each other. So someone who's a step ahead of you and a step behind you, those are the people that we learn best from. And that's one of the reasons I, I started the podcast that we have so that we could have these conversations more openly for entrepreneurs and small business owners to have easier access to the conversations they may not be having on a regular basis in their daily lives. Mm, absolutely. And having colleagues, peers, to hang out with, to have a conversation is very, very important. So remind us, Sabrina, the different ways we can get a hold of you. Okay, so the easiest way to find me and everything that I'm up to is on my website at tapthepotential.com, T-A-P-T-H-E-P-O-T-E-N-T-I-A-L.com. And if you want to hear our podcast, you can check us out at Profit by Design Podcast. Dot com. Dot com. Thanks, Kim. Dot com. Well, we have such an international yes. audience. We have dot .ca, dot .biz, dot whatever. 
So on yes. and on it goes. Any final comments, Sabrina, to encourage our audience as we depart today? I want to just say, if you're a small business owner and you've got your nose to the grindstone and you are overworked, that, you know, keep your chin up and keep moving forward. Because what you're doing is making a difference. And Dr. Sabrina, thank you very much for hanging out with us today and sharing with us your insights, your wisdom, your thoughts on how we can go to the next level. Thank you, Ken. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. It was a great conversation. Thanks, Sabrina. Well, SOS listeners, thank you for sharing your most valuable commodity, your time with us. If you like what we're doing, please share, pass it on, leave a positive comment uh, on whatever platform you are listening to. And if you have friends who are business owners, especially for today's show, please pass it on and forward to them so that they can get the insights that Sabrina has shared with you and me today. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.